what a day, what a day. Welcome to the JT The Brick Show. You know, when you put the silver and black uniform on, you get such a surge of energy. It's time for the JT The Brick Show. And a lot of football players around the country that want to wear that silver and black. JT The Brick. When you talk about the Raiders, everyone knows you talk about the Raiders. On Raider Nation Radio 920 AM, here's your host, JT The Brick. Thanks for coming back. Hour number two of the show. JT with you, brought to you by PTs, the best happy hour in town, 5 to 7, midnight to 2 a.m. You can go to the Strat, Arizona Charlie's 64-plus taverns here in the market, and PTs does a lot to get everybody ready for the holidays, donations, toy drives, everything that they do. We thank PTs as a proud partner of the show. Breaking news, Vic Tafer, Tom Pelissero, NFL Network, Raider Safety, Jonathan Abram will undergo season-ending shoulder surgery Thursday. Abram had missed a snap prior to the injury and wanted to keep playing, but doctors advised him to shut it down. He'll be fully healthy in 2022. So add another one to the injured list, and Jonathan Abram is done for the year. Jonathan Abram was coming on, and he played well against Cleveland, and I think he would have matched up really well against Denver, and especially Indianapolis with Jonathan Taylor running the ball in the box. That's a big loss for the Raiders. So we wish Jonathan Abram well. If this is the first you're hearing about it, you should call in and thank him for his service this year and playing and what he did to be a Raider. Uh, they like to hear that. Players, when they're injured and they're going to have to rehab and they're going to miss their teammates, it's the job of the flagship station to pick them up. So let's do that for Jonathan Abram. And very unfortunate that he is gone for the year. 702-365-9200. What a mass unit. The whole league. I mean, everybody's hurt. It's tough to stay healthy. Limon, start us off this hour. How are you? Thanks for calling. Hey, Bill. What's up? JP, how you doing, brother? Good, buddy. Thanks. Listen, hey, man, happy holidays to you and your family as well, bro. If I don't talk to you until next year, hey, man, uh, the best for you and your family. You too. Thank you. But uh, <clears throat> check this out, man. I got a little list here for Santa Claus. Hopefully he can listen and, uh, and help us out with this. I'm looking more at the third downs completions. They got to work on those. Mm-hmm. You know, they got to get, get, get it going, you know. They got to protect the ball, protect that ball, you know. Those left tackles, man, they're going to have a lot of work to do. Uh, guards, right tackles, center, give with a third down, give us an extra work, you know. Make it happen. That, that's going to that's gonna be the key for, for, you know, for us to win. Also, you know, I've been real critical about Carr, uh, he, but this time, like he said, he needs to be aggressive, move out of the pocket, get back, you know, move back. I mean, he's got a good arm to throw maybe 10, 15 yards, he can make it happen, but get out of the pocket. And one thing I just wanted to, you know, you know, just like the old man said, just win, you know. Hopefully they remember that guy. Remember what it is to be a Raider, mm-hmm. you know, coming from that guy, and uh, we can get a win. You know, and I think we, we can get this going, and I think we can win, but uh, they got to, you know, put a lot of, you know, their part. Yep, thanks for the call, my friend. They have to put together a great game plan and play a game above average because they haven't been average. They've been below average to average on offense for a while. They need an explosive offense, and they've been scoring 30-plus the last three games against the Denver Broncos. Steph McKenzie joins us from 97-1 The Point, the morning show host. And, Steph, you despise Denver. This is the team that you have the bullseye on their back. It's your twice-a-year Denver Bronco appearance. Are you ready? 
oh my god i'm dying i'm like preparing every day like christmas there's christmas i think this is bigger than christmas in our house jt <laughs> it is it's a big one no teddy bridgewater drew Locke, who the raiders beat last year so i think the raiders catch a break on that but as you know denver gets up for this game they can run it they're 19th in passing yards they're ninth in rushing yards so they can run the ball really hard and that raider defense just found out they lost jonathan abram for the year for right, shoulder surgery, so these guys are going to have to tackle better, Steph. Well, and, you know, we talked earlier on Fox and McKenzie when you joined us, and it's got to be more about car possibly throwing. Can mm-hmm. we get some of that? And I also think that when it comes to Denver, don't ever count it out, no matter what team it is, but especially the Broncos for me, and I know majority of Raider Nation, you know, don't let them surprise you and know what your tricks are and come out and get all those right away because that just kills us at the beginning. And it seems like that's been going on a lot more than not this year. The good news with Denver is they don't run a lot of misdirection like Kansas City. They don't have the players that Kansas City have. Kansas City hammered the Raiders in both games. With Denver, you got to stop their rushing game with Javante Williams. They can really run it. And they they don't have Von Miller anymore. And Von Miller was as good of a player as I've seen as Junior Seau when he played for the Chargers and some other great players in the rivalry in the AFC West. But you mentioned it, Steph. Carr Carr won the last game, but they didn't play well, and we're waiting for Derek to bounce back and have one of those games like he did earlier in the year. Well, and I think the good thing coming into this is that they're at home. Mm -hmm. They get to spend Christmas with their families. This is a big game. A lot of people have been talking about this game more, and I know it's, I hate the Broncos as far as I'm concerned and a lot of my friends and people that love the Raiders as much as I do. But they're here. This is a home game. And not being able to have the Vegas Golden Knights here in our city, I think the excitement is really big this week. Step McKenzie's our guest. It is. It really is a big deal this week because they, they come home after a game where they could have lost to Cleveland, and it would have been probably the most depressing Christmas we've had on the radio in quite some time if they didn't win that game. And, Steph, you know that Denver flight. It's not that long. It's not as close as L.A., but I don't know if Denver fans are going to make this trip. They don't seem like they're as enthused as the Kansas City fans were. Chicago and Philly, those fans came because it feels like it's a once-in-every-eight-year trip. But I'm hoping that we're not going to see a lot of Denver orange and blue floating around Vegas. That'd be unacceptable to me. Oh, that would be awful. That would be the worst game if we saw a majority of that. And I'm kind of with you, though. They're fair-weather fans, and I said it out loud, you know, tweet me, whatever you want to do. But, man, when it comes to the Broncos, they're either winning and they love them, and even at 7-7, seven and seven, you hear so much backlash on that team. And it's like, it's either your team or it's not, win, lose, or otherwise. So I'm with you on that point. Steph McKenzie's our guest. So you basically don't like their fans because of the way they treat you in Denver. But in general, when they're here in Vegas, are they less cocky than they are in Denver? Because I know you've told me many stories going into Denver. You think it's going to be smooth, and then halfway through the game, you're in these verbal battles with everyone, women and men and people there. It's It's been a rough spot for you to go to Mile High over the years. Oh, Mile High, no matter what, has been awful, awful, awful. But I will say this, we have a bit of a different fan when they come to Vegas. They've either partied so hard that you hope they're not going to come out aggressive, (laughs) or they partied so hard or they are. But either way, this is the game. The game. Listen, this is the game that do not trash talk when you come to Allegiant Stadium. This is our home. This is our game, and we are ready to take this game. Steph McKenzie's our guest, 97 won the point. So what's happening for you as a
shock around the Christmas holidays because, you know, we're still in COVID and we're still stuck in some type of protocol where there's masks or there's not as many people going to shows or they're trying to go to shows. The residencies have been popping up here. I know you're doing a lot in the community around Christmas time. Usually for you, is this a good time of the year breaking out that old Christmas rock and roll? It is. I love it. We've been playing rock and roll Christmas on 97.1 The Point. And, you know, there's still some fun festive things you can do if you want to get out. I, I hate to say it because it makes us so weenie-ish when we've come from the Midwest. But it's cold at night, but it makes it so festive and holiday-like when you can go to Enchant, which is over at, you know, the Las Vegas mm-hmm. Ballpark. And you can go down to the Bellagio and see the Atrium. There's a lot of fun Christmas festivities to do with your family. Should rock bands have a Christmas song? Bobby's looking at me weird. Should every rock band, like some rock bands have ballads. They have, you know, you throw a Kiss ballad in there or you throw a Bon Jovi ballad. I can get it. But are they forced to think about doing Christmas rock? Because it makes money. A lot of people download it this time of year. It gets the numbers up. Well, it does. And, you know, it depends on the rock band. And I bet Bobby would agree with me. Some of them, if they just do it to do it, to have that Christmas song, eh, Others, it sounds really good. We played Joan Jett and the Blackhearts this morning. They sounded great on their Christmas song. You too. Eh, okay, baby, I'll be home for Christmas. It's all right. I miss the Christmas parties we used to have here at Me work. Too. I mean, because what's up with a Christmas party? Are I you, think you and I should plan it. JT and Steph, party for Lotus. We should do that. But what is your general theory at, at a Christmas party? A lot of people don't go. They don't want to get caught drinking by the boss. They don't want to get loose. A lot of uh, partners, significant others, I'll go. Not my wife, but I've seen some wives fall down hard at a Christmas party, not having right. their drink legs underneath them. Uh, are you a fan normally of the Christmas party? A good thing to do with your coworkers? I think it's a – I'm a big, huge fan. I think it's an amazing thing to do. You know, as a matter of fact, just because of the world we've lived in, a lot of people haven't. I know of four Christmas parties that happened, and they were – from what I heard, I wasn't at them – they were amazing, and everyone had a great time. And, of course, we have Uber and Lyft. There's no excuses. An open bar, usually. Most Christmas parties are open bar, or have they? I'm not talking about our company. Our company is very generous. But the typical, I'm hearing more and more about Christmas parties giving drink tickets. You have two drink tickets, or this or that. I like the open bar like a wedding. I don't want to pay for anything at a wedding and a Christmas party. <laughs> I want the bar to be open the entire time, and I'll, I'll tip aggressively, but it should be an open right. bar, right? I, I agree. I think it should be an open bar, and you don't have to bring out the premium premium, only maybe on the vodka and the tequila for us. But, you know, I think open bars are the way to go, and why not at the end of the year? You know Lego, real quick, what they did with their company, they had the biggest profit that that company has ever had really? in all of its beginning. They gave their employees like four days off the end of the year, and they gave them a hefty bonus. That's good to hear. Like in the billions, the billions made this year. Did I, on the way out, did I tell you I went to Carrie Underwood with the wife? Oh, how was it? It was incredible. It. it was amazing. It was she did a her last song. She sang in a waterfall, completely, completely under the waterfall, soaking wet with the mic. I don't know how they pulled it off with the electronics, but she was in a waterfall. It was incredible. That's going to be one of the biggest shows in town uh, at Resorts World. I can't see a bigger residency than that. She was incredible. You know, we're getting ready to go to Katy Perry next week, also the Las Vegas Bowl in town. I think as far as Carrie Underwood, where she really took it up a notch for me just being a sports chick, you know, her husband's a hockey player. For God's sake, how can you go wrong with her? 
She's something. I thought she was incredible. I think everybody should try to go see her. Steph, we will talk to you. Uh, if I don't see you at the game, be safe. Have fun. You're a tremendous part of our show, what you do. We're great friends off the air, but Raider fans love you. You got the best rock show, morning show in town, Fox and McKenzie, and we love you. Thanks for everything you do for us. Man, JT, I love you, and Merry Christmas, and a Happy New Year to you and yours, and to Bobby as well. Many wishes for Jonathan Abram, and go Raiders, especially this week. Come on. Yep, that's Steph McKenzie. Breaking news, Jonathan Abram out for the year, shoulder surgery. As Bronco insider Brandon Cristal kind enough to join us, I'll be on his show. He comes on mine. And Brandon, we're trying to dive into this team without Teddy Bridgewater. I thought Drew Locke played with a lot of guts here last year in Vegas, even though they didn't win. I thought he was gritty and gutty. What should Raider fans expect? Well, I think they'll expect at least to start a more disciplined Drew Locke, but ultimately he's a gunslinger. That's the way he's described himself, and he wants to go out and make the game-winning play, and it can be to his detriment. But uh, a good example, he threw a couple passes the other day that Teddy Bridgewater wouldn't even look to throw, and one of the biggest plays Teddy had before he got injured was just a little dump-off to tight end Albert Okwebunam, who was actually Drew's favorite target of Mizzou. Mm-hmm. And he jumps over a defender, so it's an exciting play. He gets like 10 yards. But Noah Fant was running wide open on a corner route, 30, 40 yards downfield. That if Drew locks in, that's Drew's first reader. That's what Drew's hoping comes open, and Teddy doesn't even look at it. So they still get a first down because Albert is so athletic. So you're going to see Drew take some chances, and it's a risk-reward where he takes chances, and that means sometimes – he might turn the ball over. And, in fact, he started, I guess, 19, 20 games, whatever that number is. He's only had two games in his career without a turnover. Brandon Cristal joins us, Broncos Insider. So tell us about Javante Williams. 14 games, 170 carries for 815 yards, and he's averaging 4.8 a carry, only three touchdowns. Why isn't he getting in the end zone more with all those carries? I think that early on, when they had opportunities to run the ball in, Melvin Gordon is, has been pretty reliable in his, in his career, even though he, he does have fumbling issues, especially a big one against the Eagles uh, a few a few weeks back. But he's been able to finish off drives. He did it for the Chargers, and he's done it in his two years here. So I think that's some of it. And then the, the other part of it is they haven't been in the red zone and haven't had enough success enough. Right, and you look the other day, whether it was Teddy or Drew, mm-hmm. scored ten points against a good Bengals run defense. Uh, but the Bengals, the game was was there for the taking for the Broncos, and the Bengals just made enough plays, and the Broncos couldn't. Williams is going to be. He, he feels like he has the potential to be special. We'll, we'll see, right? And you're always a little weary of running backs even when they have a good rookie year. But if he had the full workload like he had against the Chiefs, where he went over a hundred yards, if he had that all year, is he doing what Jonathan Taylor is doing to some degree, or is he? in the rookie of the year conversation because he's dominating and there's just no need because they're paying Melvin Gordon 8 million bucks. They want to get the full four or five years out of Javante Williams as a rookie, I guess four years in this case on the rookie deal. So they're not in a hurry to run all the tread off his tires. And this is a kid who was used to splitting time with Michael Carter at North Carolina. So it's not foreign to him where he was the man. And now he's having to adjust to life in the pros, even at Carolina where he was really good. And I think they might have both had a thousand yards last year for the Tar Heels or two years ago when they had a full season, whatever it was. He's used to sharing the workload, so he doesn't mind it. But when he has the, the rock, he makes he makes plays happen. He, you, you see him every week on NFL Network uh, on angry runs that Kyle Brandt does on on the morning show. He has. Brandon, you there? We're breaking up. Oh, you sorry, got... I'm in a dead zone. I'm. I'm... 
You got me back. I got All you right. back. Go ahead. So let's jump over. Let's move over to the receivers. Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick have similar numbers, 670 yards, 621. Uh, they don't have that typical explosive wide receiver. You know what happened in Vegas with Henry Ruggs and the fatality accident. And Jerry Judy, eight games, played this year and no touchdowns as far as I can see. And that's a disappointment this year, but a lot of guys have been banged up. What is the strength of Denver when it comes to their passing game? Well, it's the the big receivers you mentioned operating in short space because Teddy Bridgewater doesn't throw the ball down the field very mm-hmm. much. He had he did early at times, and he had KJ Hamler healthy early, and he'll throw Noah Fant into a, a big gain or Albert O into a big gain, but he's not taking fifty sixty yard shots down the field. And then Jerry Judy it happening at the Bengals, he's he's putting defenders in a blender. He he is an elite route runner that is probably in the conversation for some of the pure route running. One of the best, if not the best, in the league, and I think other football people will tell you that. But Teddy just wasn't looking his way the other day, and then when Drew had it, Andrew was just trying to make something happen, and, and I don't have the place charted in my head. But he's not getting anywhere near the workload that a guy that was taken as high as he was, and in a lot of people's opinion, the top wide receiver in the draft heading into last year's draft. Obviously, Justin Jefferson has been the pick of the litter to this point, uh, but they have to figure out a way to get all of them involved. You paid Tim Patrick nice money. You paid Cortland Sutton frontline money. He was a pro bowler two years ago. He still looks like he's not totally over the knee injury. And you drafted Jerry Judy in the first round, and you've got a first-round tight end in Noah Fant and a really fast tight end in Albert O. They've got – it's it's almost an embarrassment of riches at skill position, but Teddy hasn't been able to use all of them, and some of them might be the play calling of Pat Shermer. And they've been running the ball effectively, so that is going to limit everyone's numbers in the passing game. Brandon Cristal, Brandon, finally, tell me about the defense because Kareem Jackson, I'm looking at the numbers here with sacks and interceptions, and it seems like it's Justin Simmons with five interceptions, Patrick Sertan the second with four. The Raider fans know this, even though they put up 30-plus in the last three games. you got to be really careful to attack Denver downfield because they have ball hawks, and they have guys who catch the ball in the secondary, unlike the Raiders, who just can't get their numbers up when it comes to that. What should the Raiders and Carr be concerned about, even though recently he's been successful putting up points against this defense? Yeah, I think that just that they're really in a comfort zone. You hold the Bengals, which were scoring 27 points a game to 15 points, one touchdown and some field goals. You hold Patrick Mahomes and all of his weapons with Kelsey and Hill healthy. And they had, I think, OCEH's first game back that Sunday night game a few weeks ago, held them to 15 points, right? The Chiefs scored 22, but one was on a Daniel Sorensen pick six of Teddy Bridgewater when the ball got deflected. The defense is playing really well, and even when they're losing guys up front here and there, a game here, Bradley Chubb has been back for four games, hasn't really rounded into form like the Pro Bowler that he was a year ago. They're really good on the back end. You mentioned the two safeties. Simmons is probably going to be a Pro Bowler. We'll find that out uh, today if he, if he goes back-to-back Pro Bowls. Sertan's going to have a really good shot at making a Pro Bowl as a rookie, and then once you do that, you know how it goes. You get up, and, and you don't want to mention Champ Bailey around here with, lightly because Champ was so good and went to 12 Pro Bowls. But when you make the Pro Bowl as a rookie at corner, you you have a good shot at just making it every year, and that's the kind of player Sertan is. So Derek Carr has, has, gets rid of the ball quickly. The pass rush isn't where it needs to be, especially without Vaughn Miller or Chubb completely right. But he's probably going to be better off working short and, and intermediate stuff because when you start involving those safeties and and Sertan specifically, you could you know you're playing poison. Thank you, Brandon. Good to talk to you. Always great to have. Thanks for the deep dive on the Broncos. We'll talk. I'll talk to you. I'll be texting you throughout the game, man. Have a good holiday. 
Hey, you too, JT. Merry Christmas. Sorry my phone cut out there. I hit a dead spot like I was on my way to the uh, I appreciate it, Bill. Merry Christmas to uh, Julie and the boys. We'll talk to you soon. There you go. Thank you. Right back at you. He's right about Justin Simmons. He's a hell of a player. Two sacks, five interceptions, one of the best safeties in football, and Patrick Sertain the second. So on the deep end, that's going to be tough to get over the top on those guys. And that could lead to Derek underneath, which is something we're trying to get out of. We're trying to see them attack. It's going to be tough to throw on this Denver team. They've had a very good defense. Vic Fangio is a hell of a defensive coordinator. He might be the best in the league. He truly could be the best defensive coordinator in the league. I don't think he's a great head coach, but he knows how to coach up a defense. Wow, how long was that? All right, we went a while there. Mike in Staten, Italy. Mikey, thanks for calling. What's happening, brother? Yo, JT, I text you the minute that game started the other night that you asked for linebacker play and safety play, and you getting it from Adams. What a – this is decimating to their defense. I thought they'd coming off the best game of the season – and to lose him now, is, is, it's heartbreaking. For him, too. You know, he's been, he's, since 2019, he, you know, he's starting to come into his own. He's starting to react and not be uh, proactive instead of reactive. His game has gotten so much better. And now to have this season-ending shoulder surgery, I'm, I'm heartbreaking, as is every Raider fan out there. JT, New York City is under siege with this new COVID virus. It's, it, if people aren't going out getting their their vaccines now even if you have the vaccines you're, you're getting sick but you're you're getting better quick everybody on my block everybody at the office at jt it's oh, i'm not leaving my house i'm going to live in a bubble for this for this holiday season i don't know how it is in vegas yeah. but new york is under siege yeah i've been talking to my family in new york my parents are still back there and we've been talking about the holidays with this new variant, Mikey, and you being retired police and you knowing the numbers and seeing the numbers and knowing the hospitalizations and what's happening, New York is under siege again. And we remember when this started and they brought the ship into New York and they opened up the Javits Center. It's starting to look like it again. But hopefully, you know, there won't be as many hospitalizations and deaths if more and more people can get vaccinated here coming up there. But, yeah, as it happens in Europe, it comes to New York. Then it goes through Chicago, and it gets out here in Vegas eventually, and our numbers end up being just like New York. Yeah, it's and I was happy to see that the Raiders came back without any new uh, yeah. positive tests. They, JT, they have to get through this game. They have to beat Denver to, to make these last couple of games exciting. But they have to get Denver. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Mike in Staten, Italy. Check it in. He's right. The, the Denver game is massive. It gives us another – we end up talking Raiders as a playoff team through the new year. We do. I mean, we get to go from Christmas Eve into Christmas into New Year's Eve into New Year's Day talking about the Raiders alive in 8-7 and seven if they can win this game. Uh, the more and more I look at Denver, the more and more I'd be concerned about what the Raiders' game plan is going to be with the passing attack. But I think we're all on the same page. Go attack like Al Davis. Take what's yours. Go get it. And let's see, if they make a play, if they intercept the pass, they intercept the pass. But play aggressive. Play aggressive and beat the Denver Broncos. Put them away in the fourth quarter. Get a Legion Stadium energized starting the fourth quarter as the Raiders are playing with the lead instead of playing from behind. That's been the problem at a Legion Stadium. Everybody's walking around on edge, biting their fingernails because the team's getting beat every game. And then they have to storm back. Let's get a good game, a quick start. I'll be live from the torch at around 11 in the morning. Come on in. 
Come on into the game. Meet me at the torch. Check out the pregame show with the great Eric Allen as we continue. JT, brought to you by Five Iron Golf inside Area 15. We went through a very lengthy uh, period of investigation and discussions. The one thing I can say with 100% assurance is that it didn't interfere uh, with the work that our investigator did. We were able to access all the people that she wanted to access. That's Roger Goodell on the Daniel Snyder investigation on the leaked emails. JT, back with you. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We're brought to you by Remy Martin, team up for excellence. Remy Martin, their back bar, their back private room at the Raiders Tavern and Grill. Great place to hang out over the holiday season. So I've been talking about this, and I'm not letting up. I'm not letting up because I think that the Raiders were treated poorly by the league. When the league, the commissioner, and a few of Mark Davis's partners, other owners, were aware of the emails. On that committee. So they were aware of the emails and they didn't come to Mark Davis and say, You got a problem coming. There's a tsunami coming and you might want to make a decision now and make a coaching change or look at this. And then Mark Davis could have had a different plan. We all know that. Everybody knows that. Period. So we're starting to wonder what's going to happen now that the Washington football team has been eliminated. They're at six and eight. And a lot of people back in D.C. want Daniel Snyder out. They want him out. They have no chance of getting a new stadium anytime soon. He wants a new stadium. There's a lot of politics there, and they just don't like Snyder, and they want him to change the team name. And he's been sitting on the Washington football team for a couple of years now. So everything happening with that franchise is in disarray when it was supposed to be their problem, not the problem of the Las Vegas Raiders. And the Raiders acted accordingly. John Gruden resigned. Rich Bisaccia came in. They beat the Cowboys. They beat the Browns. And the Raiders are going to try to win a game, and they should against Denver. Last night on my SiriusXM show, I had Steve Zabin on. Uh, Zabe's a longtime friend and colleague. I worked with him for years. A really good sports talk radio host in Washington, D.C. He joined me after the game, and I asked him about the status of Daniel Snyder and what's going on with the Washington football team. Steve Zabin's our guest. Zabe, when we take a look at the Washington football team, as Daniel Snyder stepped away and his wife, I guess, is stepping in here, even though we know on the team from his bedroom and living room, what is going ne- to be next? You and I have been friends a long time, and we talk off the air. The Gruden emails yeah. and the connection to the Gruden emails and Capitol Hill at least sending a salvo at that they'd like to bring Roger Goodell and others up to Capitol Hill to talk about the investigation, the first investigation with Snyder with what happened on his plane and then potentially him trying to talk to witnesses along the way. Is this a hot topic on your show every day or does it come and go with the wind every three or four weeks when someone like Mike Florio puts it out? Now, all of these latest bubble-ups of, oh, there's new information in the case and, oh, somebody else has told about this awful thing that happened they worked for the Redskins, it doesn't it doesn't go very far because the chance to oust Snyder was there on a silver platter this past year. And not only did he survive, but the NFL bent their rules of financing and ownership to allow him to stay and take more control of the team. It's the darndest thing I've ever seen. I got to tell you, it was one of the most soul crushing things to watch as a fan 
hoping that his 20-year reign of error was going to finally be over. But my only theory is this. They are worried that Dan Snyder kicked out of the club will be far more dangerous and damaging than if he's kept in the club. And so, therefore, he survived, and I'm afraid it's going till death do we part. Steve Zabin, that is an incredible comment because with that theory, and you know that topic better than I do, by keeping him in the club and potentially keeping him quiet, then he's not more toxic by leaving the club and then dumping emails or dumping comments out there. Oh, yeah. He's a wild card, the likes of which the NFL doesn't want to deal with. You know, it's like imagine a guy that's in your extended golf group on Saturday mornings, you know, you know, 12, 16 guys, and he's a pain in the ass. And everyone's like, when are we going to get rid of him? But then you realize if you boot him out of the group, he's going to start texting everybody's wives, starting to stir up, you know what, about, oh, did you hear about this, hear about that? So you decide to just put up with him. I'm convinced that's what's going on here because there is every rational reason to say we can do better than this guy owning an NFL team in market number five that is worth three-plus billion dollars, and they chose not to do it. They ran Jerry Richardson out with no qualms whatsoever. Where's this with Snyder? It didn't happen. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, but with Richardson, and again, when certain guys leave, they leave. And sometimes they pass on, they go off into the sunset. But what you're suggesting is if Snyder was kicked out and this really went up the tree to the top point and there was more conversation about this, Capitol Hill was involved, the NFL had to talk more about this. Like you said, he's a wild card, he's a loose cannon, and owners would have to be more nervous. If you've got nothing to lose, like what is Dan Snyder without this football team? He's just a rich dummy with a big boat, of which there are more than a few of them in the world. He loses all prestige, all status. He would be ashamed to the day he dies. It's, it's the worst thing that could happen to him. So he would have nothing to lose. And he has proven through his lawsuits against a little Washington City paper for writing an article about him that he is a litigious, wild card that I think the league would prefer not to deal with. Zabe, last one. So when he does come back from his Game of Thrones penalty phase and they, <laughs> they set him out to the mountains or the nether region, he comes back to win over the fans, which I don't think he can, to win over the fans as he just build them a glorious new stadium, whatever location it is. Does he buy more players? Does he try to win everybody over because he gets his get-out-of-jail-free card and he's so happy he just wants to spend, spend, spend? No, because he can't ever win over the fans. It's too late. Secondly, this stadium pursuit is turning out to be a complete quagmire. He can't get anybody to jump to build him a stadium, and why would you? Plus, the real estate in the D.C. area, it's so expensive, yes. so compacted. The only logical spot is right there where the old pump, where the old city used to be in D.C., but that's on federally controlled land. And so, therefore, it, it involves a whole other layer of challenges that he's not equipped to navigate. So there's no stadium coming. He'll never win over the fans. You can't just buy a quarterback to make everything right. And they're going to have a new name this winter, or so they say. So this may be the last three games of the football team and say hello to the Commanders or the Red Hawks or the Red somethings. Who knows? But it'll feel like an expansion team, which is very sad for a lot of us.
That's Steve Zabin, talk show host in D.C. I thought it was really important to play that for you because you don't get that perspective in Vegas. You don't hear that from anybody. You just heard that from Zabe. So Zabe is telling you exactly what's happening with an organization that's toxic. Toxic. But on the Fox shows and the ESPN shows, they use the word toxic and dysfunctional with the Raiders, who moved a team to a market here and is now top five in revenue, built the stadium on time, a practice facility which is global, and their revenue's through the roof, and they make the Raiders out to be the mess. Well, did you just hear that? That's what's currently really happening in D.C. with the Washington football team. And he brought up an interesting point. That's why I wanted you to hear it on the flagship of the Raiders is that by protecting Snyder, he doesn't become a loose cannon. If Snyder's going down, who is he taking with him? Now, if I was that rich, I'd want to go off into the sunset. I would never want to be seen again. I'd delete everything, Facebook, Twitter, and I'd go on my big boat, and I'd go to Croatia, and I'd go to you know Italy, the Amalfi Coast. This guy's ego is so enormous, he wants to be the owner of the team that he loves. He grew up loving the Redskins, now the Washington football team. But what did Daniel Snyder know about those emails? I think he knew a lot because there were his emails in his building. And as corrupt as he's been and the problems that he's had over his career, inside and outside of football, believe me, his attorneys, his tech guys, his IT people knew exactly what the hell was going on. So why did the emails come out again when they did? And why didn't they come out in June? Why didn't they come out in July I know how to stay in my lane with the Raiders and Mark Davis. I know that well. I'm talking about from a national perspective. So the only way to figure this out is to bring him up to Capitol Hill and make him sit down in front of congressmen and women who will ask him questions under oath to find out. But you wonder why the story's dead this week. Like, why is the story dead? How could it have been so big like Mount Everest on that Monday night football when Gruden was forced to resign, when he resigned? And then it pops up a little bit again. Then it goes away for three weeks. And now it's all about COVID, COVID, COVID. And COVID's important, right? And it's about the playoffs and will the Super Bowl be on time? Why aren't they putting pressure, more pressure on this investigation against the Washington football team? Because some of the owners want to protect Daniel Snyder and they want this to go away. Just want it to go away. And a lot of things, and and, and people in life, want things to go away before they get really ugly. You ever see when there's a whistleblower, when there's Facebook or there's a tech company and there's a whistleblower. And the whistleblower goes on Capitol, goes up to Capitol Hill and then the stock gets hit. And everybody says, oh man, Facebook's in trouble or Tesla's in trouble or Google's in trouble. No, it goes away every two weeks. And then there's a whistleblower a year from now. And then Mark Zuckerberg goes to Capitol Hill, speaks, calms everybody down. Stock price goes through the roof again. Shh, everybody's quiet. That's exactly what they're doing with the Washington football team. They're hoping it goes away. And it shouldn't go away because it had a deep effect on your team, the Las Vegas Raiders. And again, I only know a handful of guys in media who are talking about it. I hope you enjoyed that from Steve Zabin. He puts a lot of clarity on what's going on with that team. CJ in the OC, thanks for waiting. Go ahead. Hey, what's up, man? Um, This is CJ, part of the Malone clan. So from from your fraternity days. Oh, good, good, CJ. Thanks thanks for that. It took me a second. Appreciate that. Go ahead, buddy. What's happening? Exactly. No, well, we all know that Dan Snyder knows where the bodies are buried, and they just don't want him around and – 
you know, Mark Davis just doesn't have those same connections. I mean, Al did, but I don't think he shared it with Mark. And they're always going to treat the Raiders that way, you know, just all the bad feelings that they had from Al and mm-hmm. all that other stuff. But I'm positive that Goodell's like neck deep in all this also. So, you know, and the only reason that uh, Gruden got fired is the stuff that he said about Goodell. And he didn't like it, so he put a hit job on him. Just the way it goes, you know. Hate to see it, but, you know, you know we've dealt, dealt with this for a long time. Yeah, we have. So, Appreciate it. Good catching up with you. Have a good holiday. Mark, Mark, Davis, there, Mark Davis has better relationships with more owners than you think. I know that to be true because I talked to the owner and from the other owners around the league that respect the job he's done. Mark Davis has done a tremendous job for the owners getting this team to Vegas and the revenue and the Super Bowl and the Pro Bowl and the draft and everything that's happening in Vegas. And that's all part of Mark Davis's legacy is the move here. Now he's got to win. Yeah, and it'd be nice to win. It'd be nice to have a couple of Super Bowls under your belt. Breaking news. The Raiders have placed cornerback Brandon Faison on the reserve COVID-19 list. Here we go. So there's one another along with Nate Hobbs, who we hope comes off. So Brandon Faison on the reserve COVID-19 list. That was just put out by the Raiders moments ago. So, look, we got to hope that the Raiders coming off a road trip to a cold-weather city come back with not a lot of COVID. But everybody's getting COVID, all these football teams. As Bobby mentioned, the bowl games are in jeopardy. There's a lot of news about some bowl games being canceled. I'll tell you that coming up on the other side. The NHL is taking a pause. Speaking of NHL, what a game last night. Man, that was an exciting game. Golden Knights up 3-1, lose 4-3. But a hell of a played hockey game. That's what you get from the Golden Knights. Great games. Lock with a play fake, sets deep in the pocket, loads it up, home run ball, middle of the field. He's got an open receiver there. This is J.J. Hamler. Hamler inside the 10, the 5, with a somersault into the end zone. Touchdown, Denver. And that is an 80-yard touchdown pass from Lock to Hamler, and the Broncos lead it 8-0. That's Dave Logan, one of the better play-by-play voices out there on Broncos Radio. J.T., as we wrap it up. We have one more show tomorrow, my interview with the coach over at the facility, and then we'll replay that for you here. We're off on Friday. I'm actually working Friday for SiriusXM. We're off here as a station, and I'll be at the torch on Sunday for the game. If I don't talk to you before that, I hope you and your family have a great Christmas. Tremendous holiday if you're traveling, coming back, or you're going to be away for a while. Thank you so much for everything you do for us, for me, Bobby, and the show here on Raider Nation Radio. Wanted to play this from Ian Rappaport. He was on Sirius XM with Pat McAfee, and they got into a conversation on the Denver Broncos and Drew Locke. For the another one to pay attention to, the Broncos, who are have really good defense, really good run game, some quarterback issues. Bridgewater is probably not going to play, so that means Drew Locke is going to take the field and have his first start with like everything on the line, mm-hmm. which you know you'd like Bridgewater to be in there, but that's 
kind of fascinating since Bridgewater beat Drew Hey, and, Dr- hey, and Drew can show up too, right? Oh, yeah. He's a guy who can show up if, if like for a big moment. We'll see how much he's learned, I guess, and grown and everything. It felt like they did not want him to be the starter at all, even though no. they even they drafted him. And there was a couple games where he showed up and made some big plays, and then you watch an entire season of him, and you're getting like week 10, week 11, and all I heard from the uh, Broncos fans were, we still don't know if he's a guy or not. It's like, well, if you don't know this far into it, I guess – do you ever? And I think that's where the Broncos got. And now they get a chance to see him in a massive moment, I guess. That's huge. I mean, and if you if you like Drew Locke, if you think he is going to be a really good quarterback, like you could watch him pick out moments where you say, all right, this is why I know he is going to be a successful starter. And then he has other moments where you're like, okay, he is not. And I just, maybe this is what he's going to be. Maybe he's going to be a backup who can flash, but like absolutely massive opportunity for the Broncos. And then like just his career on Sunday. That's a really interesting comment when you think about what Drew Locke's playing for. So Drew Locke, who's played in this league and has had some good games, he's fighting for his life. He's not going to be back with Denver. Denver doesn't want him back again as a backup. This year they had Teddy Bridgewater. It looked like Drew Locke did everything you're supposed to do to wait in the wings and be there in case of injury. Now he is. You don't think he's not going to play his ass off? This is an opportunity for him to get a job somewhere else or be a backup quarterback somewhere else along the way. So when he was out here, he had a rib injury, I remember, in that stadium by myself with Lincoln Kennedy, Musburger, and Eric Allen. And I remember when Locke came in that game. Remember, that was the year that we had Drew Brees, Tom Brady, uh, Josh Allen. The, The quarterbacks were incredible. Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, who I thought was the best of all of them. I said that. That drives some people crazy. I was there. He was the best player I saw in Allegiant Stadium last year. Just overall, I thought he was the best, better than Brady. And Brady had five total touchdowns in the game. Just, I was blown away by the performance of the Charger quarterback. And then there was Tua, Ryan Fitzpatrick, who won the game. And then Drew Locke. And Drew Locke had a rib injury. And he played pretty well. He played hard. But at the end, the Raiders just wore him out. And they were pummeling him and knocking him to the ground. And he was fighting through a lot of pain. So he'll get a chance to do this again. And we'll see if he's able to play. But the good news is is that he's played three games this year, 22 completions for a total of 227 yards. So we're not looking at a backup quarterback who played multiple weeks and is now going to just pop because he's been playing well. He has no rhythm, no rhythm at all. It's almost like he hasn't played. So he's really struggled this year. He's averaging 95 yards a game when he comes in. And the Raiders shouldn't be worried too much about him going over the top but now we just found out that Jonathan Abrams gone for the year with the shoulder injury. And Faison's on COVID. And we're waiting for Nate Hobbs to get off COVID. And then we're waiting for Trayvon Mullen. and waiting for news on Waller. And I, I didn't hear Perryman today, so I don't know what the situation was. Sounds like they wheeled out some of the pro bowlers there. But Q was coming up next. He'll talk about that at length. So the Raiders got a lot of injuries, but they have a lot of heart. And they're playing with a lot of heart. Did you see the body language on them when they won the game? They all ran out to the field, to the 50-yard line, to hug Carlson. And they looked great. Carr sprinted. He was excited. The team was happy. They had a great flight home. I was over there today. Everybody just feels a little bit better than they did a couple of weeks ago. So that's the momentum that we're talking about. Can the Raiders keep that momentum? Slow down Melvin Gordon, Javante Williams. And make sure no one has a breakout game at wide receiver because not many have. Thanks to Bobby who put the show together. Steph McKenzie was great. Also our good friend Brandon Cristal. 
from KOA in Denver. Little Christmas shopping here. I'm jumping on a Raider podcast. Later, I'll tweet that out. A couple more radio shows until Christmas. Our final show at Lotus here will be tomorrow before Christmas Eve. So I hope you have a great Christmas, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. we got a flagship station that we can put all the resources behind for a must-win home game. I'm excited about that heading into Christmas. Hope to see you at the game on Sunday at the Torch. We're live at 11 a.m.